You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. Hello, lovers. Welcome to You Gotta Love It, the show where you tell us and the rest of the world the things that you love that we might have missed, the show where you can come to discover the best things you never knew existed, and the show where you can force us to sit through the worst entertainment you can find and say, well, you gotta love it. My name is Koji. I am a part-time horror movie survivor and full-time Decepticon, question mark, uh, with me. More than one question mark. Yeah. With me, as always, is my good friend and, I don't know, chronically busy man, Andrew Patterson. Hey, man. Hello. Yeah. Hey, I'm surprised lovers. We, we almost could have done like a live from walking soccer type situation, but no. this this year's walking soccer didn't really lend itself to. It was go go go. Yeah, and there was, but even afterwards, like nobody was really staying overnight. There wasn't exactly like a dinner and then cool down period. No, no. Uh, so it didn't it didn't work uh, as 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 normal. So, you know, maybe next year we can we can do a little walking soccer thing. But let's get into. The entertainment for the week. We watched, so you don't have to, I think, Transformers The Last Night. And the hidden gem was a movie called The Final Girls. As always, we're going to start with the hidden gem, which is The Final Girls. And I'll give you a quick rundown and stop me if, I, if I've missed anything. But it's about a the daughter of a former starlet who is famous for... Maylon Ackerman. What? The actress playing the starlight is oh. Maylon Ackerman. Yeah, who is famous for a Friday the 13th type film called like Bloody Camp or... Camp... Uh, Camp Bloodbath or something Camp like Camp that? Camp Bloodbath is the name of the film. And uh, so she's trying to book jobs later in her career and can't because everyone recognizes her as the horror movie girl. And so, uh, you know, and she's got this kid who's tags along for the auditions and like is kind of like the adult in the relationship as a lot of these movies are want to do. Mm. But the mother then dies in a car accident mm-hmm. and she is left missing her mother horribly. And a year later, uh, on the anniversary of her death, they are screening. Oh, thir- three years later? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Three years later on the anniversary of her death, they are screening... Uh, you can talk to the mic. I know. Yeah. I just uh, didn't want to interrupt your flow. <laughs> You're really like running it down. Yeah. They're screening uh, an anniversary uh, edition of this Camp Bloodbath. Things go awry and somehow this girl and her friends find themselves in the movie as if they were characters in the movie, but they're not replacing characters in the movie. Yeah. They're... They are interacting with characters in the movie. And there's one oh, guy. Go ahead. I was just going to say also in a hilarious way, like, because because when I had read the synopsis of this movie, I just assumed it would be, first of all, I thought it was going to be not serious, obviously, but a bit more like a traditional horror movie, right. kind of, once they were in there. Like but, funny, scary, as opposed to like fourth well, wall breaking and well the first like right off the bat when they realize that first of all they realize they're in the world like immediately i thought it was going to be more of a like what happened where are we and it takes a while but it's right. like it's so funny they find each other in the middle of the woods by this road and this car comes by like immediately right and it's the characters from the movie like hey do you know how to get to the camp and they're just all like stunned yeah and the, the people in the van in the in the van are just like Okay, weirdos, and they keep driving, and yeah. then this, and then it just goes, and it says ninety two minutes later, ninety three minutes later, yeah, yeah, and the exact same thing happens, and they're still standing there, just shocked, yeah, and you're like, oh, so it's like, it's a loop, like the entire course of what's happening is, you know, so, um, and then, uh, but Thomas, it happens several times, so yeah, Thomas Middleditch's character, yeah, which was so funny to me, he's just like, wait a minute, and like starts his watch. Yeah. And then 92 minutes again, he's just like, boop, and points, and the sound effect happens at the exact same time, and the van yeah. is good. Uh, it, it's it's almost like Scream or something taken to the 
like most extreme degree because they're in the film talking about the like meta aspects of horror films. I and read a, I read a great review that compared it to Pleasantville. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. For like camp horror. I could see that for sure. And the idea of the final girl is not something that I was really familiar with until this mm -hmm. movie. And I'm like, that's genius. It mm -hmm. makes perfect sense because not until all of her friends are dead or she thinks they're all dead does one or two of the characters step up to be the like ultimate badass, mm -hmm. right? At first, they're just like scared and running away. But by the end, they're just like, fuck it. I'm yeah. not taking it anymore. And it's like so true. Yeah. You know? And there's a lot of great... So Thomas Middleditch is in this. Adam Devine from Workaholics is in this. Um, Hilarious. The main... He is... Oh, he's the best. He is so funny in this movie, just fully embracing a role. I guess he's just kind of typecast at being but like right. fuck his face just <laughs> makes yeah. me laugh like he's, he, it he, sounds it sounds like a really mean thing to say but like when he kind of does that like blank face and yeah. it's kind of scrunched up it's yeah. impossible to not laugh at how he looks well it's, but it's like obviously done on purpose you know what i mean like i think so but i think he just learned to embrace his he embraces his face <laughs> you know yeah, embrace yeah. the face like he's just like Oh, you know what's a funny part of my comedy? Just my regular face, expressionless. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, the main girl is from American Horror Story. She's the teenage daughter in season one of American Horror Story and then continues out. She's like the main witch in, in Coven. And I'm pretty sure she's on all the seasons. Um, and I'm trying to remember who else is in this movie. It's not that important, but... Uh, Alia Shawcat from... Uh, Arrest Development. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That's her name from Arrest Development. Um, so, did you like this movie? Uh, yeah. I didn't finish it, which I was mentioning to Koji before, just because... Uh, Time constraints? Being chronically, chronically busy really ate into my... Anyway, whatever. But I thought it was fantastic what I saw of it mm -hmm. and was just like, fuck, there's just no time. Cause I was watching it right before we recorded and I'm like, yeah. I'll definitely finish this movie at a later point. One thing that I was very impressed with. Yeah. Cause I made it like probably like halfway through and then I was like, okay, well I'm going to just like not ruin it, but just kind of skip ahead a couple just to see. There is some amazing, I'm, my note just said editing, but like that doesn't even describe it. Like there's this, this, the camera work that they do in it. Yeah. I thought was, I mean, I don't want to like really big it up by saying revolutionary, but like, I honestly cannot think of another movie that I've seen that did some of the shots like this. Like the first time you kind of notice it is when they are in the theater and somebody like lights a joint or something on screen. And then the guy's like lighting a like cigarette or a cigar or fucking, yeah. you know, like whatever he blunt. I don't even know. And then it shows somebody drinking, like chugging on the screen, and it cuts back to the theater. And that was just a very traditional camp horse type of cutting. Right. But then when the guy drops the bottle, yeah. and it goes under the seats, and there's like, you can tell CG was used, but like not over the, t like it's still really, yeah, not yeah. really well done. You see this rolling, spilling the alcohol under all the seats. And the way they did that entire sequence uh, was... And then, you know, the fire, the ensuing fire that happens, like yeah. all that shit. I was like, that was crazy. And then later in the movie, I thought the car accident was pretty good in the beginning too, though. The car accident was crazy. The craziest thing yeah. was when they're in the, in the cabin. Yeah. And like the, I fucking can't remember any of the counselor's names. The black guy. Yeah. Is like confronted by Billy and he gets like stabbed or like impaled on the machete. And right. then, like, the camera, like, he falls down and the camera follows him. And then it goes up the stairs, and Ali Shawkat's character is coming down the stairs. Yeah. And then it goes back down to the floor and spins like sideways and like goes to the main character and she's like screaming and she's like, everybody get into the kitchen. And then it like, like, it was a new type of like single consistent shot. And yeah. I like never seen, I was like, Fucking, this looks amazing. Yeah, like, it was ha, pretty like, crazy. Ha, or the scene where they're running after uh, uh, the first death, they run back to like the main campground. Right. And it's just a rotating camera. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like, oh, where are you guys going? You're going to miss the... And it was like a Scooby-Doo-esque situation where they're running down different paths and then coming back around from other paths 
and you're just like, what the so, fuck? One thing that made me think about is, unlike maybe you or some of our other friends, like Daryl or, like, I, I'm not a huge horror guy, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't, and I'm not, like, a huge, like, camp, campy horror B-movie guy. Yeah. When I watch a movie like It Follows, which right. is, like, an homage to, like, that type of film, uh, or even some of the ones we've watched on the podcast, like Halloween 3, the ones that I've seen... The movies now that like pay homage to those old movies, maybe it's because I haven't watched enough of the old movies, but half of the stuff I don't even recognize from the old movies, you know, like I like I can't even really think of an example, but like it's like they're building on or improving upon those those things. Because when I watch the old movies, it's like even the ones that were kind of uh, campy, it's like they still took everything seriously or it felt like they were trying to make like a serious, scary movie. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So like now, like, I don't know, just the camera work and like the music and there's stuff that was clearly a nod, but I was like, but it, it's not even like a true nod, it feels like, because they're doing stuff in a new way, if that makes sense. Right. Like, am I just rambling? Do you no, understand no. what I'm trying to yeah, say, though? They, like, they, they, they definitely have made it better, even though it's like It Follows felt closer to a direct homage because it was like, but it se- also serious. serious. Yeah, yeah. Where the music and the way they did the filming and the tracking and stuff felt like an old movie. But in this, like you know, the death scenes or like the sudden cuts and stuff like that. I'm like, I haven't actually watched a, an old movie that used those yeah. effects, if that makes right, sense. Right, right. I mean, it, it, I, really the ones that they're talking about are like, you have to watch, you know, Friday, Friday the 13th, 13th or yeah, something from that sort of elk. The ones that we tend to watch, like with Daryl, uh, are even more cheaply made than those films. Mm-hmm. And and thus don't have the non West Craven. Yeah, well, like, like so, even Halloween as an example would be a good one to watch. You'll get like because it, it was they were at least trying to be proper filmmakers, you know. And they it was the budget budget wasn't huge, but it wasn't like on a on a shoestring. Mm-hmm. Although Halloween one, they used the white uh, uh, William Shatner mask painted white. That's the Mike Myers face. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is a great movie. Yeah. This is a great movie. And I will say this, spoiler alert right now. So watch it and then maybe come back to this or just whatever. <laughs> this isn't, it's okay. The, the entire time you're like, how do they get into the movie? Mm. Okay. And it ends. She, which I haven't seen yet, but so you can still say the I final don't. scene where she's facing off against, uh, what's his name? Billy. Billy is, is beautiful. They got like storm clouds coming in and she's walking out of the church and he's walking towards her out of the forest. And it's like incredible. But so she faces off against him. I won't really ruin what, like how that all goes down because it's more visually appealing anyway. And then, uh, after beating him, she wakes up in a hospital. She's like, what, what? And, and it plays into the idea that like, oh, okay, she was, you know, she got hurt on the way out of the theater and it's all been a dream. Mm-hmm. And then she, she hears her friends and she's like, what? And she pulls the curtain back and they're all kind of sitting there. Right. And she's like, oh, so like I just hurt myself coming out of the theater or whatever. And they're like, oh no, no, that happened. That happened. And like Thomas Middleditch pulls up his shirt and he's just got like a giant scar from where he was <laughs> hit in the machete. He's just like, no, no, like this hurts like a bitch. Right, and they're like, "What?" So, like, where are we? And they just hear people talking outside. So they like go to the door and look, and there's like a nurse, like a sexy nurse, and like a soap opera-ish doctor talking to each other, and they're like talking about how they're like gonna fuck or something. Uh-oh. And then all of a sudden, like the guy gets impaled with like a machete or something, and they all look at each other and kind of like scream, and he's like. Thomas Middleditch is like, oh, yeah, this is a sequel. <laughs> and then it ends. And it's like, okay, perfect. That's like, that's all you could ask for. Because there, there would be no wrapping up. You know, you yeah. just have to accept they got into this movie somehow. And that's that's it. Yeah. Right? There's no wrapping up, like, the science behind it or magic well, behind how they got into it. I, I was kind of, granted, I, like, I assume that he's... Like, when he gets hit with the machete, he doesn't come back in the movie until that point that you just talked about, does he? No. Oh. Well, because I was kind of... Wait, you didn't... No, I didn't get that. For, or maybe I just skipped that part. Okay, so did you, I, did you I see the point where the, where the girl with the leather jacket shows up? 
Oh, the cool girl? No. The final girl? No. Okay, so Middle Ditch comes back for one last kind of laugh and slash death scene, and then he really like gets fucked up. Okay, because I was like, they kind of. I felt almost like they kind of wasted that because he was like, I almost wanted him to be throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and, yeah. And and when they go into the well, so forest and like they see the really quickly middle ditch we didn't explain this in the beginning his character is the one who's like hyper obsessed with this series of films knows all the actors knows exactly what's going to happen and so he's kind of like the inside man and yeah. that's in the meta guy he he's the guy that's like explaining the like horror movie concepts and so i agree with you i would have liked to have seen him he so the first time they see the killer everybody's kind of horrified mostly because they still don't know what's going on but also because they've just watched him kill two people yeah whether it's real or not they don't know yet but it all they know is that it looks like this killer from the movie just killed these two people and thomas middleditch is kind of sitting there with this just like grin plat like he just can't even believe it like he's so stoked yeah and then he gets up and walks over to like the the dead bodies. Like, I wonder if everybody around here just like running around with corn syrup in their blood, you know, blah blah blah. And he like like touches the dead bodies like blood and like puts it in his mouth. And then he's like, oh oh no, that's that's not corn syrup. That's that's real blood. Yeah. And as he's standing there, the killer is just standing behind him, and the shot is like such that it's like a traditional horror movie shot where you're like. He's going to die. Yeah. But the scene goes on for like eight minutes where he's just talking to them and he's like, the camera keeps cutting back to them and they're all like f- paralyzed with fear. Yeah. And he's like, oh, we're not part like, of the movie. We're not part of the movie. Yeah. We're, we're not going to get killed. And the whole time you're like, he's going to get killed. Every time it cuts back, you think that he's just going to like get murdered. Yeah. And it just continues to go on. And he's just like, he like turns around and he's like, wow. He's like, you're so big and scary in real life. And just like. You're just waiting for it. And they're just drawing it out yeah. so long. He yeah. takes a selfie. Yeah. And then the, the 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 guy's like walking up to him. And as he's walking up to him, you're like, this is it. And then he just does nothing and walks away. And then there's the like nervous laughter. Yeah. And it just like, fuck. I, I wanted, it was still funny what happens after that, but I wanted it to be like, that was it. Like he doesn't, and that yeah. just continues to happen in the movie where he, because it's so like anxiety inducing, I feel like they could have let that happen like a, almost as a running joke through the whole movie, you know, right. like he still maybe gets like killed brutally, but like it lures you into a false sense of security. Cause it happens so many times where he's just like, Oh, like this is this scene where this is happening. And like, you know, we're not altering the events of the movie. So yeah. like, this, this is fine. This, I can just stand right here and I won't get killed. Yeah. There's um, some pretty good laughs in this movie though. And, um, I will say that uh, I've never been in a fight before in my life. I have a lot of fights, like seven fights. Yeah, that's a sweet Adam (laughs) Devine line. But yeah, karate technique. There's a a lot of good stuff that uh, even some of it's like kind of obvious. Like as scenes play out, you're like, oh, this is gonna happen, you know, or that's gonna happen. But it's still really funny to watch it play out. Mm -hmm. And I really think that I don't know. I I was very pleasantly surprised by this. Even going into it, having a somewhat of, a, of an idea. I didn't know that they were going to get trapped in a movie. I'll say that. Okay. But like, I knew it was going to be like a comedy, uh, horror sort of meta thing. And I was like, okay, like I've s- kind of seen this before, but no, this was perfect. It was good. I'd like to see, the, before we move on, yeah. talk about the You Gotta Love It. I think that... Uh, it's not like there's not a ton of parodies out there, but there's some really great examples. Like Galaxy Quest is a great example of this for sci-fi. Pleasantville yeah. is a good example for just like, it's not really the same, but you know, just kind of yeah. like a drama, like an old, old time. This was good for horror movies. I feel like horror, it happens the most with horror type movies. Yeah. It's almost like a, a trope. It's like a, it's like a routine thing almost now that like there is almost a subgenre of horror movies where they try to make it like. Well, have you seen Cabin in the Woods? Yeah, Cabin in the Woods is a perfect example. There's that like documentary about like the guy that's obsessed with horror movies, and he's like he's like making a documentary about horror movies like with his friends, but then it like turns out that he's trying to like his friends are like, yo, he's taking this like really seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he is basically a serial killer. That's like trying to recreate. Oh, interesting. but the, anyway, the point is there's like, 
I feel like horror movies do it the most, and I would be curious to see more people try to tackle other genres in a similar like I don't know you know I don't know how you would do it I think horror movies are the easiest well, to do it with so maybe the, but the thing is that the reason why these types of of um, spoofs or whatever you want to call them work better than say like not another scary movie or not another mm-hmm. teen movie is because it's not just a bunch of funny scenes slapped together and mm-hmm. then calling it a movie it it's both like if you look at a movie like this or you look at Cabin in the Woods or you look at Pleasantville um they're in their own right taking themselves seriously while spoofing another genre. Mm-hmm. They're still trying to make a serious movie. And by that, I mean uh, they want to be successful at making a movie, not just a spoof movie, but the movie itself is successful. I thought of another one kind of that I would kind of put in this category sure. adaptation. Yeah. Like I it's mean, not, it's not the same thing where it's like about a movie, but like, that movie was brilliant. When yep. I saw that for the first time, I was like, what is even happening here? And then mm-hmm. when you hit the crux of like the movie and you're just like, what the fuck? This is fucking sweet. How about that Nick Cage guy though? Dude, I he's in some fucking great movies. We should, not like stupid great, like just great. We should do a Nick Cage episode. A hundred percent. Because it would be so easy to do, except I've seen pretty much... Well, it doesn't matter. We could could go back at it again. Weatherman, Raising Arizona, Leaving Las Vegas, Adaptation. Have you seen um, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call? No. uh, Louisiana? New New Orleans? No, New Orleans? Yeah. I haven't seen it. Matchstick Man was great. And then there's lots of stuff he's in that's terrible. There's no in-between with him. Mm -hmm. Maybe Gone in 60 Seconds is in-between. Uh. I didn't mind Snake Eyes, but I think that's kind of an in-betweener. I don't know if you saw that one. No, that's an older... Eight millimeter. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. So let's talk about the You Gotta Love It, just because... Yeah. So Transformers, The Last Night. Let me tell you, okay? Please do. What is this movie about, first of all? I don't know. What is this movie about? It posits... What is this movie about? Wait, wait. It posits a world... In which the Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur and uh, uh, the wizard, whatever, Merlin. Merlin uh, Defeat were, the Saxons. Yeah, but there were no dragons and magic. The dragons, quote unquote, and magic were technology and transformers. So it was a transformer turning into a dragon-like character, helping them win this war. And there were actually other Knights of the Round Table th- that were just giant transformers. Uh it also <clears throat> ties into a plot where Cybertron is actually a robotic living, quote-unquote, planet whose sole purpose is to suck the life out of Earth to rebuild Cybertron. And Earth is actually Omnicron, the foil to Cybertron. There is also, also a United States-led task force for Homeland Security, whose sole job is it is to hunt down and destroy Transformers because they have been deemed a threat to the world. It's also set, if you've seen any of the Transformers movies, or even if you haven't seen any of the Transformers movies, in a time where it's basically post-apocalyptic. Like the United States, the world has been like ravaged. Parts of it have been... Yeah. Well, like, because of the events of the other films. Yeah, but even... But like... Like the first one was, was present day. Yeah, the first one was... Pre- I'm just saying, like, I've seen... I think I saw the first three, and then I saw the fourth one, maybe with you. Did we do an episode about it? I'm not sure. Dark I've, of the Moon? I think we did. I don't know. I've seen them all. But, like, I don't remember... Stanley Tucci going crazy on that roof in the elevator? Anyway. No, I just don't remember that much destruction being witnessed in the other movies, probably because mm-hmm. they're forgettable. But, like, you know, cities destroyed. You know? Like, it was like Terminator level like people some people are living in cities and are fine and then there's just like ruins of like like half the city is just a ruin and i'm just like oh shit anyway uh there's there's a lot going on in in these films and it's hard to properly surmise yeah two of my notes are uh in all caps what is happening and then like five notes later what is happening but can i tell you two things yeah steve buscemi giant realization that like totally changed my entire view on all of this. Okay. 
And let me first start by saying this is probably my favorite Transformers movie of the entire lot. And here's why. <laughs> here's why. I realized early on that this is a live action anime film. And when you look at it through that lens, it's like almost perfect. Like take all the other ones out of the equation, all of the other films, like they, they never happened. Okay. And you start with this one and it's like, okay, so you, you have this like anime scene in the past where like there these, these like, uh, medieval armies at war and like one side the good guys obviously because like the other side's all dark and like black and shit you know they're like being burnt and like arrows are shooting at them and he's just like ah oh, we need help and then all of a sudden fucking merlin rides in with his staff and behind him are these like five whatever giant robots and this giant dragon comes in and like totally destroys this whole thing and you're like oh sick Right. And then and then it co- kind of goes into this like Da Vinci Code esque thing where they have to find like the one. Although the reason for Mark Wahlberg being there, like he, he uses his thing once where he like blocks that sword and that's it. I'm like, what? What? But anyway, so the rest of the story is like they have to in this post apocalyptic world, which is also perfect for anime. They have to find this girl who is the one who can like find the staff, bring the dragon back to to save the, the world in this like robotic war, you know? And so from there, it's like perfect. Cause they introduce all these like slapstick, uh, robotic characters, but it's like, they're, they're almost like interstitial to like super serious action scenes. And that never works really in, in movies because like it's, the comedy aspect of this film is so over the top that like, and the, the, but, and the action scenes are so serious that juxtapose, you're just like, this is fucking insane. Like you look at a movie like True Lies as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Hilarious, also action oriented. But even during the action scenes, you know, Arnold will like, will like be flying a plane and being like, I fucking love like shooting yeah, this machine yeah. gun or whatever, it, whatever it is. You said you were going to kill me last. Yeah, I lied. I lied. R- right? <laughs> like, I think that's Commando. Anyway. Is that Commando? That fucking mix yeah. up Commando and True Lies? But, Shit. But that's perfect, right? Like, because there are still funny moments, but this didn't have that. But anime does that exactly, where, like, it's a really serious anime, but every once in a while, there'll be a character that says something, and the main character will just have that giant teardrop thing, like, you know? And so, like, this movie is exactly that. It's exactly that. In all ways. They have, like, these, like, slapstick like war machines rolling in accidentally dropping bombs on places you know yeah you know that uh that uh fidget spinner thing yeah so you know it'd be interesting to tie this into the hidden gem for this episode would be to see an actual because i don't entirely disagree with you but i don't think it was intentional on michael bay's part no it's not at all intentional i would love to see somebody intentionally make a live action anime movie Mm mm-hmm that's not Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, I don't mean like a live action adaptation of an anime story. I mean yeah. literally an original story. Yeah. What you're describing. But like set out to do that. Right. So that it's like, but you know, don't, and I don't even mean like Kung Fu Hustle where there's like goofy effects. Like yeah. I mean like make, just take the ridiculousness of even the most serious dramatic anime yeah. and put it into like live action. So. Sure. You know, instead of somebody having a giant, the giant teardrop of sweat or whatever, yeah. it's just like real sweat. Like right. just, they just get sweaty. But like the same type of dialogue, the same type of pacing, all yeah. the same type of story, all that stuff would be really interesting to see. But but this movie is almost that. It's actually yeah. like if you think about it, if you if you watch just even watch another scene mm-hmm. and just keep that in mind, like the 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 like almost wacky robot butler who like oh, has no role and then it's like doing the op- opera singing. Walking the dog and shit. Right. But he, he has no business even being in the movie mm-hmm. other than just another form of comic relief. But even the way that the, the characters talk to each other, when, when uh, Anthony Hopkins first uh, sits down and starts telling him like, that he is the one or whatever, he, he like, uses all this over-the-top flowery language that like, makes no sense. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just like, exactly an anime character. Yeah. And even the giant... Because at, by the end of it, it's almost Dunkirk, right? I don't yeah. know if you made it that far, but when they, 
when they get on to uh, Cybertron or like Cybertron and Earth are like slowly m- like melding yeah. together. Yeah. And they, they, they're on Cybertron trying to like get into this compound so that they can get the staff back. It like turns into this crazy war film where it's just like they're like going from trench to trench and like things are exploding. People are like literally dying left and right. Like human bodies are just going flying. You know, it's like actually a war scene. And I don't know. And then the girl comes back and, and the little goofy, broken, blue yeah, blue guy. She's like, I need you to do this. And, you know, like gives him a little pep talk and he just does his little like. Mm-hmm. And he basically goes up to a gun turn and, and essentially in robot language says like, fuck you and blows it up and then just goes flying. But it's like, again, everything about this is is perfect anime. Uh, and that's as soon as I realized that about maybe twenty minutes in because this movie is almost three hours long. It's unreal how <laughs> long this movie yeah. is. <laughs> um, I, as soon as I realized this, I was like, "This is perfect." But you know what made me realize it? And I know I'm going on like on this huge it's tangent. Fine, it's fine. But what Let's made me realize it. it was, I was like, "This movie," because by the end of it, they also they hint at a sequel. Which there is going to be. There's going to be probably and five more of these. There's movies. also going to be a standalone uh, Bumblebee. Bumblebee movie, but what? So what made me realize it was beforehand. I was like, these movies don't need America, right? Like any any money they make in North America is just icing on the like international cake, mm-hmm. because that's where the, that's where these movies are making their money, mm-hmm. especially in Asia, right? And I'm like, wait, are they trying to appeal? Mm. to an Asian audience by making this like essentially anime-esque like are they telling it with an Asian lens because if you look at that would certainly be an interesting lens to watch Pacific Rim 2 because I'm not going to rewatch Pacific Rim 1 but if I'm sure somebody's going to make us do that and if we do I'm going to go into it thinking they just made this movie for a foreign audience but if you if you if you actually look at this film and like dissect the way the characters act and then look at like and I don't mean to like, you know, shrink anime down to this tiny little thing, but like what the stereotypical Japanese anime, and I'm not talking about Ghost in the Shell or Perfect Blue or whatever. I'm talking about like, uh, what would be a good example? Like Ranma one half or something. Okay. You know? uh, that's an old example. <laughs> okay. Well, like give me a, a more modern. Couldn't, couldn't give you a more modern example because I'm out of the loop, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Like the more... Like maybe One Piece? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Something like that. Or uh, Bleach. Where, where like the stories are somewhat disjointed. They don't really tie everything up. And it like it has huge swings from like intensely serious action. Like a commander will be yelling at a soldier. And then all of a sudden he'll be like. <laughs> and like kind of like melt or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, like and his his face will just be like uh, red with a bunch of li- like squiggly <laughs> lines on it, right? And and like this is for this those of you that can't see Koji, he's physically trying to demonstrate <laughs> what he means by when he ex- describes these drawings. Yeah, contorting and, his body. And it is ex- this movie is that it's that. And I, so like I I hate I was hating my life for the first like half an hour of this movie, but it's then wh- so bad when I realized I was like. Oh no, this is great. <laughs> so you know, the one thing that bugs me the most because uh, I don't have a lot of positive things to say about this one. Mm-hmm. No, that's the whole goal of this podcast. I love Optimus that, Prime's voice as well. The thing that bugs me the most about like not even just Michael Bay movies, but specifically this movie and the Transformers movies as they progress. Mm-hmm. Is that pacing you're talking about? And I don't mean pacing of the overall movie. I mean scene to scene is like he's achieved a new type of editing in terms of sound or dialogue like things it is the edm no it is the not edm exact but like uh fucking gabber or something happy hardcore like yeah there for a perfect example is everything that happens in the junkyard where it's like there's music like that like almost like that like you know epic like the dawning it would be called on the score or something like some sort of um very patriotic sounding pre-action swells of strings you know 
And while that music is going on, there's like 18 different shots or angles of Mark Wahlberg walking through this junkyard, yelling ran- seemingly random shit at characters that, well, he's filming, he can't see, right? Mm-hmm. He's just like, he's like, hey, what's the big idea, big guy? Oh, hey, over there, get that car out of your mouth. And you're like, what is happening? And while that he's yelling those things, yeah. there's transformer sound effects as well yeah. over top of his voice. There's like three Transformers on screen, plus little guys. Like, you know, fucking Grimlock has got a car in his mouth, like the T-Rex dinosaur, and he like, kind of like spits up this car with all this green slime. And then while that's happening, this uh, Steve Buscemi's character comes along. It's like fucking Howl's Moving Castle. He's got this backpack. His yeah. back is just covered in trash. And like a laptop or a t- flat screen TV falls off and transforms into like a Transformer like mosquito which bumblebee swats and like crushes and every scene has got like eight miniature transformers yeah aren't even central characters some of them sound like those annoying little guys from the earlier ones some of them are just seemingly mindless animals that happen to be transformers right but they're all talking at the same time there's sound effects happening there's like gags going on in the background while a serious conversation is happening in the foreground like mark Wahlberg's talking to some kid like you can't stay here it's not safe meanwhile in the background there's like this big green guy with a cigar saying to bumblebee like hey kid like don't be such a pussy you know there's just like a billion things happening and the whole movie is like that and i it's so it's exhausting yeah i did not look at it as an anime the way that you did i was just watching it and it was like one of the most difficult things to watch, not because it was so bad, just because it was, I mean, that is one of the reasons, but it was just so overwhelming consistently. Like there's no such thing in this Transformers movie as like a heartfelt scene where it's just like Mark Wahlberg sitting quietly, you know, in the junkyard and like Bumblebee drives up and transforms beside him and just kind of like looks at him and he's just like, wow, man, you know, so much has happened or something and Bumblebee like nods calmly. That is not a thing that exists. The whole movie from beginning to end is the most elaborate, unnecessarily elaborate set pieces you've ever seen in your life with a minimum of six characters, some of which are having conversations, some of which are doing physical gag humor. Some of them are running and there's like tracking cameras and 360 degree cameras and lens flare. Like it's Michael Bay at his absolute most... Michael Bayiest, and it's, it's just, it's crazy. It's I can't even, I don't know. I don't think I have. One of my notes is just can't help but imagine what someone could do, with a budget this size, f- for like a good mecha movie. I still haven't seen it. Transformers movies, Pacific Rim. I get what they're appealing to, but like. I maintain that this could be done so well. I'm holding out for them to make somebody to option Pat Labor and get like Christopher Nolan to direct a Pat Labor movie. Right. You know, cause there's cool <clears throat> shit in it. I may not like a lot of the transformer designs, but like the uh, task force, the like American United Nations task force. Yeah. They're mechs that look basically like metal gear. They look like metal gears. Yeah. You know, like the two legged walkers. Mm hmm. I'm just like, that looks amazing. Why can't somebody just make a movie that has these in it? You know, that's a good movie. Right. It's kind of fun. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I guess because like future is hard to properly convey, you know, without it look seeming hokey. Yeah. I think I, I, I genuinely think that video games and comics do a really good job of it pretty consistently mm-hmm. maybe that's because i like we belong to a generation that kind of grew up with video games you know at, kind of in their prime sure or like they're at the evolution of video games so maybe it just seems more normal to me but like i think that uh i think the main thing with movies is that nobody not nobody but very few people if it's hard to find the balance where they're trying too hard to loop in audiences that cannot take things at face value and the other side of the spectrum which is not explaining anything when some things need to be explained right because you know the one thing that i think some of these movies get right Mm -hmm. is like pacific rim all of the exposition and explaining this is how we got here yeah 
I don't think is necessary in every movie, you know? Like if you had a movie that, take the mechs that the task force used in Transformers, right? Yeah. If you had a movie that was about a future, like it was about World War III, right. say, for example, and there was a technology in it like that, I don't think you need to explain that at all. Right. You, it's like we talk about the expanse, you the just, books. I was just about to mention just that. Like you just assume fucking, it's the future, so there's yeah. like future shit. Yeah. That's but like, it. But make it make sense. That's all I ask, you know? Like mm-hmm. don't, don't have these things shoot, you know. I just, I guess everybody has a different uh, line where their suspension of disbelief is drawn. But like, you know, for me, it would be like, okay, so these things are crazy robots, but they still use, you know, bullets or projectiles or like railgun type, you know, friction, frictionless uh, firearms or some, something like that, you know? Yeah. But if they start shooting like blue fireballs, you know, mm-hmm. and they don't talk about what those blue fireballs are, I might, that's where I kind of draw the line. I'm like, okay, I could understand the idea of making a mechanized tank. Yeah. But like, anyway... This is getting kind of like really off topic and super, you know, boring and is only tangentially related. But my point is just no, like I, wa- I, watching, watching all of these like big budget summer blockbuster films where they're trying to capital. Like, I feel like they're like, OK, superheroes is a thing. It finally seems like some of these studios are like, let's put some money into robots. Because when we look at like Asia, for example, what sells like robots are huge. Yeah. Well, just like. Over-the-top action CG type shit. Yeah, and just looking for maybe the, ne- you know, the the pessimist in me would say the next thing to exploit, but the optimist in me would say the next thing to, you know, sooner or later somebody's going to make a really good film <laughs> based it, on this stuff. It's just hard because I think there's also a lot of backlash, at least here, with, like, C- too much CG. Yeah, but... You know? Yeah, I agree, but I think that you can... N- that you don't need to lean heavily that that's the thing i think that just for somebody like me or probably lots of people that listen to this show or you Mm -hmm. i've seen i've read enough books read enough comics played enough games and watched enough anime that has robots in it but isn't about robots right that you just see all these examples where you're like stop making it about the fucking robots make it about the people you know, right. like you would with any story. You could make, I feel like if you got the casting right and the writing right, you could make a very uh, convincing political, like geopolitical drama. Yeah, <laughs> The film is about the politics and the characters and their experiences. Sure. And it just happens that it exists in a time where they use fucking mechs, you know, or fucking heavy gear or like Palabor. Palabor is such a great example because even though the story does hinge on the technology, yeah. similar to the original Ghost in the Shell, there's like, it's it's about the characters. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like, and I feel like any good movie is like that. Like one of the reasons, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman movies were mm-hmm. like great uh, character studies. Right about outrageous things in a very comic booky way, but they're, they felt so like, particularly the dark Knight, obviously, you know, like the Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker was amazing. And the whole conflict between like the, I don't know. It's just crazy how dollar signs generally blind people to the fact that they can have their cake and eat it too, to an extent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Make a good film that still makes tons of money, you know, just don't, you shouldn't be just finding an excuse to have these effects and well, these so robots. I think that going back to what we were talking about before is the, the the like nuances of having good characters is harder to translate through language barriers. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have one dimensional characters, you're like, oh, I know why this guy's funny. Yeah. Right. Or That's like, true. I know why, you, you know, they're like, oh, his ex-wife is like, whatever, you know, like those jokes probably are, are much more universal because of the simplicity yeah yeah i'm still holding out i i will be really excited when somebody announces like a fucking i don't know just like a dope ass giant robot movie the robots don't need to be the size of avas or voltron you know Mm-hmm. i still think like i heard robotech is coming is being uh, adapted really which I feel like the source material does not really lend itself well to like something with gravitas, mm. you know, but whatever. 
I'm sure it'll be fun, maybe, hopefully. Yeah. Somebody really needs to do Pat Labor. Pat Labor. I feel like that that's would be a hard one though, no? Um, I don't know. All I remember is that I feel like either is it the first one or the second one? The one of them you the robots are almost not even used. I don't remember. I, I don't maybe I've only seen the first one. I'm the not one sure. where the construction robots get get like infected with that virus. Okay. And the cops uh, it ju- I don't know. It just like I just remember being like, "Yo, this is so sick." And it's not just like every three seconds they're jumping in their robots, you know. Mm-hmm. Which again is similar to Ghost in the Shell. Like if you watch Ghost in the Shell, like the fir- the original anime, yeah, or even the sequel, most of- there's so much scenes where it's just dialogue and sure. story, you know, story being driven, and then you're rewarded with like glimpses at this futuristic world, you know, yeah. the technology they have, like the. When we watch Ghost in the Shell Innocence for like episode 20 or something like that. Uh, and there's like the sequence where they're talking with the uh, forensic, uh, the doctor that does the uh, fucking what's the word I'm looking for? I'm she examines sure. the bodies. Oh, the um, coroner. The coroner. And they have like, it's like a 10 minute scene where they're just talking about this case. And it feels very, it could be like any sort of, you know, serious police procedural show. Right. And then at the end of the scene, they say something, you know, the kind of hints at the, the nature of that society where people are like robots and stuff like that. Yeah. And they walk out of the room and she like takes her cigarette out of her mouth and like ashes it. Mm-hmm. And then like her eyes, like her face like opens up and like connects directly. Yeah, to yeah. And you're just like, that was fucking amazing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that's like, that was a perfect example where you're like, Oh shit. And it completely grounds you in that world without being like, where they walk in and she's like, her arms are like disconnected and plugged in and she's doing all this crazy shit. It's yeah, just yeah. like very much. You're like, Oh, I'm invested in the story and what these people are talking about. Cause it's important to the plot. Right. And then they're like, Oh, reminder, this is all happening in this crazy future world. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Maybe let's wrap it up. Recommendations? You look like you've been studying something over there. Yeah, I was trying to figure out... I can't remember the name of this fucking thing. I was playing this game throughout the week on my on my computer, and it's been a while since I've like really gotten into playing a computer Is it Pyre? game. No, what's Pyre? The new, the new game from uh, people that did... Uh Bastion and uh, Transistor. No, is du- it Double Fine? Who did that? I can't remember. I always mix up those. No, I don't think it was studios. Double Fine. Um, yeah, they made a new game. Uh, it just I, came out. I think it was, it's called like. Oh fuck! I'm I'm gonna like mess it up. Like Scavenger Evo or something like that. Okay. And, and <clears throat> you're just so. Uh, you you wake up out of this like cryogenic pod and it's mostly text none the game itself isn't mostly text i guess it is kind of mostly text but you wake up out of this cryogenic pod uh before you start though you you assign yourself various skills so like you have a certain amount of points and you can say okay you know what like being strong takes four points so i'll take that being a hacker is two points so i'll take that and then you can also take uh certain things like nearsightedness or whatever and they all kind of play into it and uh as an example you slide out of the pod and it took me a while because i kept dying and you have to start from the very beginning it's like one of these games where when you die you just start all over again but the combination that i came up with was i was a and i'm trying to find the name because it's an indie game but I, I just can't find it um but i i was like uh i took strength and i took trapping and I think I took maybe lock picking. No, no, strength trapping and like I don't know something where I have like I don't need to eat very much. Um, no survival, so I could. That's right, survival. So I could harvest things from nature as opposed to just finding things. Um, and so you slide out of this cryopod, and it's like you hear a noise of like something barreling towards the room. Is this first person? No, it's like uh, like pictures and text. Okay. Okay. You hear a noise of like something barreling towards the room. And at first I like took hacking and all this stuff. So you can like hack the wall panel so that the door closes and stays closed. But because I had these other skills, I had strength. And so I was like, 
whatever. I'm fucking strong. I'll take on whatever comes. And it's this giant half man, half wolf, like creature. I, I kill it. And with my trapping, I was able to skin it and make a, a cloak for myself. Okay. And the reason why that's important is because when, as soon as you leave this area, uh, you know, daytime is fine, but when night hits, it gets cold. You have to find um, warmth. You have to find food, uh, supplies and stuff. And so the game is partly you wandering around this wasteland trying to find things to like, you know, make shelter, make food, whatever. But you got to keep moving. So like you might have set up a sweet camp, but then you're like, well, fuck, I've harvested all the stuff around here. I need to find more things, you know? And so you, you kind of <laughs> keep moving, keep moving. And eventually you you will run into people that will like bring you on to quests. I wouldn't say side quests or main quests because I'm pretty sure the, the game is just about survival, but I've, I've learned that there's a military base and I've tried to get into it and I've successfully gotten into it. And this is when I stopped playing. I, I spent hours playing this game, hours and hours and hours and hours. And I got into the military base and everything I do kills me. And I'm like, well, fuck. I just spent like eight hours building this guy and now I'm like trapped in this thing. I'm fucked. And then I looked it up and I'm, I'm pretty sure that you needed, like, you need to find more clues to know that you need these items while you're in there to survive it. But then you come out like a Superman, essentially. But anyway, so this it game... Sounds like a very old school type game. Yeah. Where there's like nothing is explained and you're just kind of fucking like an old computer game. Yeah. You're just like, what the fuck is happening right now? What am I even doing? But they have... It's like a grueling Before survival. the internet existed to the extent that I could just read reviews of games and see what's coming out and watch trailers, I'd just be like, oh, this game is a cool photo. I'll just download this. And then I'm just like, what yeah, is it, going on? It's essentially that. But then there's all this crafting involved where like you, you can put parts of things together and, and build better materials for yourself. And so you're constantly like, you know, maybe you found like, um, you know, five or 10 or 20 or 30 cogs, but you, you can only carry so much weight depending on your strength and mm -hmm. like your physical condition. Cause when you get, when you get into fights, you bleed, you have to find bandages and like bandage yourself or rip up clothing to, to bandage yourself. But then after a while, the bandages get dirty. So either you you're healed or you have to boil the bandages to clean them and, them and use them again or you rip up new bandages or what like everything is out there to fuck you and like you can get sick you can get diarrhea you can get all this stuff right and you're just kind of wandering around uh but let's so you can get like 10 20 30 cogs you like you see them everywhere and you're like well i don't need these because they don't do anything for me but then all of a sudden you get a recipe that says like oh if you have like 10 of these you can build this thing and you're like fuck you know, the one the one saving grace is everything is exactly where you left it. So if you can remember where these things were, you can go back and get them. And essentially, you're just traveling around this big map, and each square of the map is a is a place you can go into, and then like fight these things or, or do whatever you need to do. It sounds crazy. You should boot it up and find out what the name is. Fucking put that in the description of the episode. Yeah, I will definitely do that. Let's see. I have a recommendation a music recommendation what is it it is a rap album by an artist named milo yeah. based out of milwaukee maine he's based out of a place a, a city in the states that starts with an m <laughs> uh the album is called who told you to think by milo by by milo Okay. It's really, really good. I don't really know how to... It's like his third, I guess, proper full-length release. I don't really know. I discovered quite a bit when I started doing some research. Like he released, He's released a ton of music on cassette, and his cassettes are in very high demand. They're very limited. He'll release like a cassette of like new music, and it will end up going for like hundreds of dollars online. Mm-hmm. So apparently he's been releasing music like that for quite some time and on like Bandcamp or whatever, SoundCloud. But his new album, which is available on like all major streaming platforms and I believe is getting a vinyl release sometime in September. Mm -hmm. It's, I would compare it to Aesop Rock. It's like, uh, you know, I'm sure he doesn't, he's the type of MC that likes to avoid labeling, but it's like a very underground rap type feel. 
very, very, very intricate rhyme rhyming, like very well read person and create like, you know, insane vocabulary, very uh, sophisticated, very sophisticated rap music, but it's, it's more laid back than say Aesop Rock. Aesop Rock has a very like, I don't know if you listen to Aesop Rock. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Aesop Rock's got sort of a more, you know, horror sci-fi inspired very big sound you know a lot of his like re- he makes a lot of references he, he's also to, like very vocabularically yeah, deep these guys are very similar in a lot of ways except imagine aesop rock instead of it being like produced by like lp or blockhead or aesop rock himself with that very intense almost like run the jewels level of intensity mm-hmm. this is very jazzy you know maybe it's just like piano one song or it's not that there aren't like bangers but it's like it's like the best way that i could describe it is like it's rap music that you want to just like sit like have a have a cup of tea okay (laughs) you know and just digest like you like you know if you're the type of person that is just like i only like music for the melody maybe there's some songs on here for you but this is really like it's like a good book like you want to you know, several repeat listens really like, you know, piece together what he's saying and like the guests on here, like bus drivers on a couple songs, I think, uh, open Mike Eagle. Anyway, point is yeah. the record is great. Let's queue up a song. Um, and uh, shout out to Milo for making uh, in our, in a year that I feel has been filled with a, a ton of amazing rap albums for making probably one of my favorites so far in 2017. Cause it's fucking great. Really? It's so good. One of your favorite, Excuse me, one of your favorites of the year. Crazy. Okay, let's it just do that. like felt. It just felt. You know, I was listening to it. and I was like, oh shit. You know, just kind of like hit me in the face. Like, oh, this is different. Mm-hmm. It's good. And for next week, uh, for next week, mm-hmm. it depends on what reviews you want to go by. But I say for the hidden gem, also partially because we want to see this movie, mm-hmm. The Beguiled. It has an 80% oh. on tomatoes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm into the Beguiled for sure. So some people say it's a hidden gem because it's yeah pretty limited release. Yeah, um, and it's also a remake of a movie that no one saw. Of, exactly. So well, no, I shouldn't say no one. No one from our elk. And then I feel like for the You Gotta Love It, we should watch the Lindsay Lohan vehicle Labor Pains, I think it's called, okay. where she fakes being pregnant to try to like make it in the business world there's some i don't even remember why she does it i haven't seen it i just remember seeing the trailer it was also recommended to us uh at the buns flea the last buns flea we went to was it yeah um okay i'll look up who recommended it so we can shout them out but i think those will be the two that we'll watch they're both kind of like loosely about women yeah. I mean, they're both about women, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like they're completely opposite of the spectrum, but do they, do they pass the Bechdel test? I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, really? You never heard of the Bechdel test? I don't know. Explain it to me. Okay. So the Bechdel test is uh, a thing where uh, for a movie to truly be like an equal opportunity movie, yes, it has to be, has to feature women Right. Uh, scenes with women talking to other people. Right. Not about men. Right. I totally know what you're talking about. I just didn't realize that's what it was called. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if either of these movies do that, but that's something we can look out for. Okay. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it. Love you guys. Bye. Wipe me down with celerity, hold myself with alacrity. These are careful notes to every lack in me. I took Wyaka beans, tried to tax my seed. College is wrote Zionism, these scars come with broke fire pistons. Renaissance dance, bust a blunders, tracing a fault line. Try to defend my distance, try to defend my distance, try to defend my distance. Big ass pain to myself like I'm Lonnie Liston The auto-tune clamor modernity On autopilot for an eternity She plays Shirley Scott and I'm Turrentine Feel my spirit bugging, but it's bell smurfs Your soul was cussing, that felt hurts This Robitussin's for the wet nurse, Carl Popper Sweating by that hot poker, fuck that You should've been a stockbroker, fuck that Rappers look like rock smokers, fuck that At the bottom of the well and I'm screaming, there's still more 
I grip the microphone like I'm John Gilmore Pilot pulpit as a starfighter And the consequences can buffer I flourish in the lag time 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 Behind the stalactites of my mind I flourish in the lag time 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 Flourish in the lag time while suffering was normalized. I flourished in the lag time. I flourished in the lag time. I flourished in the lag time when suffering was normalized. I flourished in the lag time. Lag time. Honest the lag tights in the back of my mind when suffering was normalized. I flourished in the lag time.